0: living space
1: a podcast about sparks
0: welcome to mail living space a podcast about sparks i'm gib christensen and i love the band sparks
1: I'm Jamie Ogihara, and I don't know one single thing about the band Sparks.
0: And together, we're dissecting the seminal Brotherly Band's complete body of work, one album at a time. Now, we're on the third record in Sparks' giant discography. Jamie, we've discussed two full albums. Has your opinion changed yet on Slowboat?
1: <laughs> it's not that my opinion has changed on Slowboat, but I can now register Slowboat in a certain context. because gib it has come to my attention and i don't know if this will be a trend going forward but every sparks album so far has one song (laughs) that annoys me
0: and that also happens to be a song that i adore there's
1: always one song that just bugs the (laughs) ever-loving shit out of me
0: and i'm over here to defend it with my shield and Probably very outdated weaponry that's not going to help me in a fight. Oh,
1: invariably you're going to say how much you enjoy how witty it is and... Mm -hmm how much you enjoy whatever sentiment or emotion it's peddling, and I'm able to sit here and nod and... Well, listeners, this is not a visual (laughs) medium, but I will be gritting my teeth also.
0: (laughs) And then everyone listening will join and my cause will get larger and soon you'll be outnumbered. It's like the internet. will just hover over you, telling you you're wrong until you admit you're wrong. That's
1: right. You can flame me however much you want.
0: <laughs> this is the real purpose of this podcast, yeah. is to publicly gaslight you about music until the internet agrees so hard with me you don't well, know what this to actually
1: say. is. It's an experiment <laughs> in long form hypnosis. We listen to these albums about <laughs> half a dozen times each, and every album so far has been one that grows on me. Mm-hmm. And if I keep re-listening to Sparks' albums, I will eventually come to a point where I am as obsessed with this band as you. Unless, Mm -hmm. and this is where the experiment part comes in, I am absolutely nauseated by the very idea of Sparks by the time we're done.
0: (laughs) Either way, I'm very excited. Like a uh, ringmaster, the leader of a carnival, uh, showing off eccentrics. I'm here to show off Jamie, the incredibly angry, I guess either incredibly obsessed Sparks fan, or the incredibly enraged Sparks hater.
1: Right, but either way, it's going to be like the beginning of Freaks, where you're flinging off a tarp (laughs) and revealing some horrid creature beneath. I mean, don't call yourself a horrid creature. (laughs) Well, on a good day, I'm horrid, but on a bad day, I'm the worst.
0: (laughs) Anyway, we're at the third album, Kimono My House, typically considered to be their breakout record, specifically thanks to the single, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. This was also when Sparks got signed to Island Records, the same label as Bob Marley. Some people at the label weren't super sure about their eccentric style, their glamminess, and all that. They kind of thought that Roxy Music was already filling that void, while others involved were like, no, please, please listen to them this happening in britain and one of them bringing the record from america over and saying we need to talk to these people so uh, after two albums in america they realized nothing was really going to hit there but their management just really felt like britain would be super into them bowie was getting big glam it was just really becoming the it thing over there so they decided to move the Mail brothers put out wanted ads for new bassist, guitarist, etc., including one batshit bassist. Would you like me to tell you about him?
1: Tell me everything about the batshit bass man. <laughs> His name is Gordon. Demonic. Can't be trusted. Don't worry. There's
0: more. There was a lot of arguments while recording this next album over how powerful Gordon's bass was. He really, really didn't like being told how to play bass. This being a 19 year old boy. He did not like being told to play any bass that wasn't his old Rickenbacker. And when asked about why it was such a big deal, he said something along the lines of, Well, it's complicated. Now, when you listen, you don't listen to uh, the notes the bass is playing, you're listening to what's being played on the bass. Do
1: you follow? Do you follow? It seems like it's very jazz-oriented thinking.
0: (laughs) These sort of bits of infighting got to a point where he was even claiming that the male brothers were afraid of him taking power from the band and usurping them.
1: Here's the thing. I could plausibly be afraid of a (laughs) 19-year-old bass player who's screaming at me that he needs to be heard better. (laughs) So it sounds
0: like they didn't have too great an experience. Once the record came out, they immediately fired him. They kept the rest of the band even though they didn't really get much of a friendship building by the end of the process. They still kind of felt like co-workers, but still in the end created a really critically acclaimed product. They had some help from various British producers and people at Island Records and really truly made their breakout moment when they got to play the track This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us on Top of the Pops but actually a week later than they were supposed to because the male brothers didn't get their work visas in time. Uh. So instead another band got their slot and it actually helped them a lot the Rubettes,
1: if you're familiar with them at all. Oh, I'm actually not.
0: They're definitely more I don't know if cartoony is the word, but much more what you picture from like an early 70s wholesome TV band and it just propelled them up to the number one spot for a little bit and so the male brothers are a little bitter about the Rubettes. Don't mention them, especially around Ron. Got it. But then a week later they made their debut and everyone on you know, the news the radio just on the streets were talking about this man who looked like hitler on the piano and this androgynous super high-voiced guy screaming about this town at that time top of the pops the thursday night show so friday mornings water cooler talk was always about the eccentric musician you saw on top of the pops
1: and they had a song with a gunshot in it so like they were like the original mia too
0: yeah And they actually got the sample of that gunshot from some old BBC sound effects archive. They doubted it a little bit at first, but it just really worked and hit hard and made a really recognizable sound associated with the song. I think at the moment it's still seen as the iconic Sparks album.
1: Isn't this on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums guide?
0: Yes, it is. And Kurt Cobain, even at a time, mentioned that they're one of his favorite bands of all time. Really? Indeed. Yeah. They have a very interesting web of fans you'll see that in the documentary as well the people that Edgar Wright gets as talking heads it's interesting to see like oh you're a big fan all right interesting I can see how they influenced you here 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 and there and all that
1: did Cobain specifically say that kimono my house was an album that he was listening to a lot
0: yeah kimono my house being yeah one of his all-time favorite albums how about that? Right, yeah. I had no idea. At least in my opinion, it doesn't seem like a record that he'd love, necessarily. But, I mean, he liked dry, witty well, stuff. cobain
1: like got a lot of pop sensibilities. I mean, isn't his favorite Beatles record the first one they made in the U.S. with I Saw Her Standing There oh, on wow. it? Oh, <laughs> wow.
0: I didn't know that. Right on. Okay, so now, our Sparks book reports on Kimono My House. Yes. How about I start? I'd love it. The boys ditched the US of A for the UK. The lyrics are weirder, the guitars are shreddier, and the bassist sure was there. (laughs) Sparks finally get their big break thanks to a thunderous opening track that kicks the door open and screams, this town ain't big enough for both of us. Also, Ron's still horny, and Russell stole your wallet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Major props for Ron is still horny, and good call out for gordon yeah
0: <laughs> thank you very much
1: this is jamie's sparks book report on kimono my house love them or loathe them you could never rightfully accuse Sparks of repeating themselves on their first two albums. Regrettably, that knack for reinvention is all but absent from Kimono My House, a collection of so-so songs where the male brothers abandon the search for their musical identity and satisfy themselves with their lot as purveyors of all ideas artsy and fartsy. Fatigue is bound to set in by the second half as the record pulls the listener from one bombastic galloping number to the next. The only break from the mad dash to the finish being downright tedious tracks such as the Oompa-Pah room sing-along falling in love with myself again. Amid all the storms of awkward wordplay and ironic attitude, Sparks manages to execute a few of their more overtly funny ideas successfully, like their reinterpretation of Albert Einstein's childhood on Talent as an Asset, which sidesteps much of their typical smarmy snark, and boasts one hell of a hook. It bodes well that this record feels the most cohesive of their first three releases, although the choice to adhere to a more limited sonic palette has this reviewer searching for the group's experimental spark that once burned so bright. Wow.
0: I like that a lot. That felt like, uh, I don't know if Roger Ebert's the person to think to compare it to, but that's sort of...
1: I hope not. Oh, yeah, no, not, yeah, like
0: a good version. There's no negatives, just like, huh, good point. Not really aggressive in the face, because this is a podcast about sparks. The scale on which everything is measured is based upon items which ignite and produce sparks. From stone to oil left in pan too long. So on the ignitometer, Jamie, your review, I think, was very thorough. I liked how you mentioned specific songs and exactly expressed the sense of dissatisfaction I'm kind of getting from you out of this record. And I get a firm understanding of where you're coming from. And also, you didn't lose any sense of wit. He still worked in some really kind of funny jabs, for lack of a better word. So I would give your book report a bad toaster.
1: Wow, that's two bad toasters in a row.
0: You're doing really well. I think if I'm just curious to see where kind of the disappointment came from and to see if there's like a way to look at it in a different light or something.
1: No, you're right. I think there are things that could have been stated in a way where my ambivalence was more strongly interpretable. But Gibb, for your Sparks book report, which boasted a unique detail of the roster of the band and for the metaphor of kicking in the door, I'm going to say that... That your Sparks book report is absolutely worthy of a bad toaster. Or a couple
0: of bad toasters. We'll get that on a shirt. Once
1: again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we almost need to be less kind to each other. Maybe we, we need more of a rivalry, we, uh, a competition to write the better book report, I guess. Like the two worst students who are competing for the A, like 99 versus 100.
1: Maybe we could try and work in some extra credit, like if one of us could sing during the book report.
0: There you go. Or uh, deliver like a slam poetry jam.
1: Yeah, that's it. Maybe we have to branch out into more experimental forms. <laughs>
0: It's begging for a deconstruction well those were our book reports so let's move on to our top three tracks jamie would you like to start
1: absolutely my top three tracks on kimono my house are talent is an asset hasta mañana monsieur and amateur hour very good my top three are this
0: town ain't big enough for both of us "Asta mañana monsieur that'll be fun to talk about and equator
1: you know what I had Equator on my top three the first time I did it, because the first time I listened to the record, Equator was the only song that really stuck oh, out interesting.
0: to me. What exactly popped to you that wasn't in the rest of the tracks?
1: Oh, it was the most repetitive. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was just beat into your head so
1: much, that's why you remember it. <laughs> just Russell screeching at me, Equator! quite <laughs> I'm like well I'm not forgetting the title of this one Yeah it's very similar to why I like it I like it a lot because
0: it feels like at this point now Russell has kind of mastered the ultra high high note without it being necessarily like abrasive It's just cool. Like, all right, sweet high note
1: as you yell Equator at me. His pitch isn't wavering. Right. It does sort of hit the same register over and over again. It's one of the longer songs on the record, too. Mm -hmm.
0: And just, it's kind of spooky, even though it's hard to describe the vibe. Who at the time that they were making this in uh, the early 70s, would you kind of compare the sound of Equator to, if you could think of anything?
1: Oh, early Bee Gees. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that falsetto and the way it's playing with a very baroque melody brought back a lot of the classicism of early bgs like around the horizontal yeah. era
0: i think baroque is definitely a word i was searching for there yeah "Asta mañana monsieur we're both big fans oh of it. my god <laughs> i think it's it's a really funny song
1: trying to seduce the tour guide yeah
0: <laughs> She only talks of iron ore. Yeah, the way I put it in my list for the top three is Dumbass American Finds Love in a Foreign Land. I'm kind of disappointed that this isn't one of the tracks that got a music video. I would have loved to see Russell just being a dumbass somewhere, like France.
1: Definitely. There's a really good live recording that they did of it. There's something about this song where the flashiness of the guitars that is all over this record finds an actual target and it works through a riff in a very satisfying way as opposed to the sort of spatterings of guitar technical (laughs) wizardry that are splashed all over this record.
0: That is a good way of putting it. Guitar wizardry is very much the style they go for at, yeah. uh, at the lead. Lots of like soaring high notes. Very technical.
1: The word I came up with this morning was that this is a very flashy record.
0: In the book, Talent is an Asset, the Story of Sparks, it mentions exactly how they phrased their ads for looking for like, bassist, drummer, etc. And you can't tell how sarcastic they are. <laughs> a gorgeous bassist. They had, at least at the time, a rule against beards. Ron, I guess, could have his mustache, but no beards allowed. No beards or bulges, is a specific quote. <laughs> One of the... <laughs> it's interesting to see kind of their process of finding these, like, brand new people to find what sound they thought would lead to finally breaking out into the mainstream. And it worked, but I guess not even enough to keep their old lineup, which I think is interesting. They're like, we did super well, but oof, this guy's gotta go... <laughs> Uh, let's talk Amateur Hour because I, that was definitely one that was in my top three initially until I thought more about Equator. So I'm also a big fan of the song, especially once I read the lyrics, I just found how funny it is and absurd.
1: So we listened to the 2015 remaster of this album and what it did, and I don't have the vinyl to compare it, but near as I can tell, it seems as if everything got mixed (laughs) upward. So the guitars are blaring (laughs) and it means that his voice is fighting with everything else so i didn't even make out the lyrics the first thing three times I heard the record but I loved the pummeling drum beat before most of the other songs on the record had the same drum beat and the hook feels very ramonesy
0: after this record sparks got the closest they would ever get to sort of a beatlemania level of fandom to the point where like in britain they were getting chased down the street by fans and like running through kitchens of restaurants and all that jazz they really got to live that rock star dream their manager would talk about them being, like, troublemakers, but in, like, the weirdest, most wholesome way. It's not like, they're doing drugs. It's like, (sighs) Ron and Russell found a fire extinguisher.
1: They pulled a cop's pants down and squirted him with a water flower.
0: (laughs) I think that's just such a funny method of rock star hijinks, if you could even really call it a hijink. I mean, we found a fire extinguisher and played with it. We were dumbass college kids. Oh, that's true. This is a professional band on tour. And their big flashy way of fucking up a hotel room is, Hey, guys, I found a fire extinguisher. (laughs) Sit on this chair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're over there squirting each other with seltzer bottles.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, they seem like (laughs) seltzer bottle-loving brothers.
1: (laughs) There is some, and I use this with a degree of affection, there's some fucking clown energy on this fucking record. (laughs) There
0: really is. (laughs) Even with, like, the big suits Russell wears in performances, like... I didn't think about it until you said it, but they really do seem like they'd have a flower that squirts water at you if you get too close. Like, that's their method of show security.
1: Yeah, and sort of ties back to a lot of the things that we're saying that we really like about our top three tracks, which is that they're very, very goofy. Mm -hmm. They're pretty broad, comedically. The American dumbass who finds love when he goes abroad. (laughs) Amateur Hour is about the learning curve of I fucking Um, love that. When you turn pro, she'll let you know. You know? And then Equator is arranging a date that is set on the Equator, but because there are different time zones on the Equator, all of the gifts that the narrator bought melted.
0: They all take so much explaining, and yet it feels worth it. Where it's like, oh, (laughs) that's really funny. Weird as hell. Took like five minutes to get the message, but that's great. Good for you guys.
1: They're all very unique concepts for songs.
0: Yeah, they're very self-contained. There's like a present theme of being very clowny, very jokey, but I wouldn't really say there's any sort of thread between the songs. They just feel very flashy in that same style.
1: Now that we're on the topic of what the songs are about and them taking time to explain, Gib, I know you said this town ain't big enough for the two of us is one of your top three songs. What the fuck is it about? <laughs>
0: well it is about a hopeless romantic envisioning the most over-the-top competition for this woman he's in love with this idea that he would love to be like an old west hero and have a a duel with someone competing for the love of some woman like it's this very childish innocent vision of competing for love it doesn't go into detail or anything a like vulgarity it's not like wordy raunchy like amateur hour it's just kind of this very theatrical demonstration of like this internal fantasy you can have when you you've fallen for someone especially from like a distance that sort of cliche of she doesn't even know I exist but i long for her
1: okay i got a different interpretation of the lyrics
0: oh yeah go ahead
1: have you seen Dr. Strangelove?
0: Uh, not in a very long time, so it's very not fresh in my brain, so go ahead.
1: At the end of the movie, the title character explains that in the case of a nuclear disaster... He wants to create a civilization where there are disproportionate young women to men in order to facilitate breeding. And when I heard This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Two of Us and I read the lyrics, to me, it described this post-apocalyptic scenario where a nuclear bomb is about to arrive and all of these men are scrambling to get with whatever young women there are.
0: Wow, that
1: is wildly
0: different, but equally great interpretation, if not better, for sure.
1: There's lyrics like, you are a khaki-colored bombardier, it's Hiroshima that you're nearing. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) Talking about bullets raining down on the countryside.
0: Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that now. What did you think about it instrumentally?
1: It's pretty sparse. The keyboard line is pretty dominant. There are these shocks of guitar, but they're all flashy as all of the other bursts of guitar. So it's not like they're anything discordant to shake you out of anything. The hammering on the piano on the instrumental bridge was a neat little switch up, but that never really surfaces. Every single verse dips into the chorus with the same exact melody. So I guess in a way it kind of felt like it was adapting a sort of folk form interesting yeah
0: i feel that i just think it's a really fun up tempo opener it's a nice sort of throttling preview of what you're about to get it's a nice like welcome to the flashiness almost like a quick test like are you into this no all right yes keep listening there's more of this over the top guitar wizardry as you said speaking of this town ain't big enough for the two of us i think we have an advertisement coming up don't
1: we yes that's absolutely correct
0: we'll be right back totally awesome isn't sparks like totally doodical they're okay okay twiki sparks is your ultimate favorite group in the whole world for sure hello jamie how do you feel about this town
1: I mean, you see how small this town is, right? Well, when you look out the window, it feels big. But then when you actually step outside, you realize how small it is.
0: It would probably be ridiculous of you to ask if you could live with me here. I mean, this town, it isn't big enough for the two of us. I'm sorry, but I mean, I didn't make the town.
1: Well, gee, if only there was some place where the other one of us could be.
0: Oh, that town that's big enough for the one of you. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. So, are you in need of pawning off Yacht Rock-hating person named Jamie trying to move in with you, but you can't really uh, give them a proper excuse? How about that town that's big enough for the one of them, where you can dump all those D-list friends, tired of constant mail, texts, or just general acknowledgement of, The bond you've formed over the years, that might
1: not really be all that special to you. Dump them in that town that's big enough for only one of them.
0: Dump them in that town over yonder, uh, big enough for you, not me, go away.
1: Now, I've heard that there are actually free flights to that town that's big enough for one of them. Have you heard of Spirit Airlines, Jamie? I certainly have. I've had terrible experiences there, and I will be using them again because it is inexpensive
0: it is now what if i told you that uh through the that town over there that's big enough for the one of you please just one of you has sponsored an even cheaper more dangerous more awful experience of an airline
1: i'm always saying that flights need to be more dangerous because people need to value life
0: it's called beer it airlines
1: Beerit.
0: Spirit Airlines. First off, they accept coupons from literally any other establishment, and, okay, when I say plane, it's with an asterisk, but it is a thing that will go in the air and take you somewhere reasonably close to that island over there that's big enough for the one of you.
1: I heard that the aircraft is actually piloted by Bert of Bert's Bees.
0: It is, while he's dealing with a bunch of bees at the same time. It's not turbulence, it's just the bees.
1: That's just the kind of experience that I want from Beard Airlines.
0: Exactly. So you'll take a free flight from Beard Airlines all the way over to that town that's big enough for just the one of you. Just the one of you, I swear. There are no exceptions, not even visitors. Cool. Now, how much would you pay to be taken to that place, that town, over there? Over where? There.
1: Oh, I would pay exactly one month's rent in order to go over to that town that's only big enough for one of me.
0: Good, because yes, the people that get banished to that town over there do have to pay for it. The people sending them don't have to pay anything. So I will not be paying anything. Beard Airlines does not have seats. They only have luggage containers. So you will be in a crate next to a bunch of people also in crates.
1: That's right. They have luggage containers and they have a beehive on wheels. Yes. That an airline attendant rolls down the aisle and asks you if you can touch a bee. And you can't touch the bee but they always offer it to you just so you know that you can't do it.
0: It's a test, really, it, you know, of your strength. Beard Airlines requires strong and durable passengers. We require sort of a level of durability before you That's get right. on. That's right. They
1: actually test the thickness of your skin before you get onto the plane. They tug at your wrist.
0: Mm-hmm. And because of that, obviously, no babies allowed. No babies or... Uh... Old people. No. It's just the way it There's is.
1: There's no town that's small enough for just one baby. No.
0: No. That town over there that we'll be sending you to, when you pay a month's rent, does come with okay, not quite bed breakfast because it's not quite a bed and it's not quite food we're offering, but we're offering you something in the morning, so we're calling at breakfast.
1: I love something in the morning. I wake up every morning and I say, Boy, I sure could use something.
0: It's got something, it's got a bathroom that you could try And they just opened a bar there, we think. They're trying to get their license. We don't really keep too much in touch with that town over there. I'm pretty busy in this town over here that's not big enough for the both of us. You understand.
1: So you don't know if that bar has alcohol or if it just has yogurt in tiny little cups.
0: We do not care about that town. We do not talk to them. We scoff at them, really. We just do the sending. We just banish people. But let's not get into the conflicts between our rival towns. Rival? Who said rival? It's a great place for you to go. Anyway.
1: That town over there.
0: That town over there. The town over there that's only big enough for the one of you. Please stay over there. Please don't come over here. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Coming soon to a place not near me. damn I like it! Hell yeah. That town over there that's only big enough for the one of you... Stay over there. Hell yeah. It's good. It's good. Stay. It's good.
1: Sorry. It's good.
0: It's good. Okay, bye. And welcome back to Male Living Space, a podcast about Sparks. We were just discussing our top three tracks, and now we'll be moving on to our bottom three tracks. Jamie, what tracks really rubbed you the wrong way?
1: Well, because we got the 2015 remaster, it means that we got two new tracks, and I am including them in the official track list. So, my bottom three tracks from the 2015 remaster of the record are Falling in Love with Myself Again, Complaints, and barbecuity. Ooh, it's interesting how while we don't seem to
0: agree on like the general consensus on the record, we seem to agree on what the good and bad tracks are. I find that interesting because my bottom three are falling in love with myself again, barbecuity, and in my family.
1: You don't like in my family? I don't
0: know. I I'm not sure if it's just like a, I'm uncultured or something. Uh, I I'm not sure. I'm just quite getting it. Even reading about it in the book, it's like. I don't know. It just didn't click with me instrumentally or lyrically.
1: That's true. It's got the same kind of beat as Amateur Hour.
0: It's definitely the track that just kind of blends in the most. Like, it's very kind of... Uh, it's, a, I don't know, a little wallpapery for me. No, I feel that. But uh, let's talk about how annoying barbecue is.
1: <laughs> Why would they do a song that's so old-fashioned?
0: Yeah, and unironic, and... Kind of jokeless, or if there are any jokes, they're very like, I mean, I guess fitting to the title, they're very barbecue dad.
1: Yeah, I guess like the main metaphor is like, oh, he's a cold guy, but then this girly she warms up the evening just fine and makes him more palatable. But that's not interesting enough for a full song. And the way that it churns out a bad version of like Roy Orbison's Oh Pretty Woman <laughs> is just
0: embarrassing. You were talking about repetition with Equator and how that just made it stand out to you. I think barbecue is a bad example of that. <laughs> the repetition really got annoying and grating for me. I really got tired of, especially by like the sixth listen.
1: Yeah, this is probably the sort of music that the Mail Brothers actually grew up with. This sort of rock and roll. I can see why it was the B side, and it should have stayed the B side.
0: Yeah. It's almost too cute for its own good. It feels almost too genuine in a weird way. I put down, as I have for the last couple records, a song that feels like some sort of movie trailer music or an opening, and I actually did put barbecue for one. It feels like the theme for a movie of the same title, Barbecue, about a barbecue uncle meeting his wicked awesome second wife.
1: Okay, I have to point this out right now because it struck me. I had a feeling that there was going to be another cinema comparison <laughs> this episode. And I've noticed that all of the things that we talk about with Sparks's cinematic associations are all (laughs) middlebrow. We're talking about a dramedy that stars like a 45-year-old guy, an animated movie about a bunch Mm -hmm. of moles with a rock band, (laughs) a forgettable direct-to-DVD Justin Long rom-com.
0: So maybe by the end, we'll have over 20 different Justin Long movie pitches. <laughs> and hopefully he'll call me out of sheer volume.
1: <laughs> you know, he has a podcast also.
0: Oh, oh, we'll invade his podcast.
1: Life is short with Justin Long. All right.
0: Is he short? Let's wear, like, platform shoes to just sort of show yeah. our dominance. Yeah, yeah, let's wear platform wedges. Yeah, we'll show our dominance to Justin Long.
1: Absolutely. Let's dom, let's let's dom, dom Justin, Justin Long. Long
0: while listening to a song
1: one of the songs we're definitely not listening to is falling in love with myself again
0: yes while i do enjoy myself some like quirky little creepy accordion it got to be overkill with this one for me
1: absolutely it's the first slow song on the album yeah after Mm -hmm. two really pumping ones
0: really adrenaline fueled
1: and then you hear the And you feel like you're in a German beer (laughs) garden with the worst people.
0: Yeah, it feels like a nightmare, or the opposite. I've woken up and suddenly I'm at like a haunted Oktoberfest, and it's just getting real bad. Yeah, they're asking a lot of questions, and
1: like the staff of the restaurant are trying to get you to join in on the chorus because it's oh, a big no. old sing along. It's somebody's sing-along. birthday.
0: You don't even know them, but they really want everyone there to sing. What a nightmare.
1: Yeah, a very oppressive atmosphere <laughs> around that song. <laughs> I didn't like complaints.
0: Right. I do like their use of the pun Mm avant-garde-ish, but I also kind of agree that it has some flaws. The rhythm is so close to being danceable, but when it gets there, that's when it shifts to a completely different sound. It has some fun to it, but it's just kind of jarring before you can kind of get into a groove with it.
1: Yeah, and the two musical ideas that it has, neither of them particularly excite me. There's Mm. one that reminds me of falling in love with myself again. Very plodding and ponderous. Very tedious. And then the other one is this skippy little swing that reminds me of the more exhilarating parts of Side A. Yeah,
0: you just kind of miss the good songs.
1: (laughs) And the joke of using the same language for the consumer product to the abortion in the last verse i think it's crass and stupid
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, good point (laughs) well put i totally feel that
1: i think it could have been handled gentler or maybe with some wit Mm -hmm. and maybe could have been tolerable if the music had been different but the combination of things just made it a very tough listen every time
0: I totally agree. Each album has definitely had one or two tracks for me that just feel like trudging through mud, and I'd say that was kind of the track where I'm just like, all right, let's get through this so I can get back to the other stuff just keep going so after discussing our top and bottom three tracks where does kimono my house rank on jamie ogihara's ignito meter
1: well let's see i recall that i enjoyed the second album enough to give it a campfire because i thought there were moments of real lyrical splendor and it had my favorite spark song to date moon over kentucky I don't know if "Asta Manana Monsieur or Talent is an Asset really measure up to Moon Over Kentucky. So we're at a propane tank for Kimono My House. There are songs on it that I do come back to, but for the most part, because of the way that it recycles musical ideas from track to track, and for the way that the new guitar-heavy mix obscures the vocals in very obvious ways, it actually kind of had me wondering why it's considered their breakout record. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, part of what made them break out was definitely on a visual level, level because a lot of the talk was their look when they debuted on television so admittedly yeah it wasn't entirely the records doing it was also a lot of the chatter of who was playing that music you know who's hitler on keys it was just on a lot of people's minds in england but yeah yeah, definitely fair. I think on Gib Christensen's Ignitometer, I really enjoy this record mainly because it's a nice kind of blood pump and adrenaline record. Besides kind of the awkward missteps near the end, I just really liked marathoning through it multiple times. And there's a few tracks, even at we hadn't really gone too in depth about that I thought showed some really nice lyrical prowess. The song talent is an asset. I love the idea of Einstein having helicopter parents in terms of comedy. There were just a lot of concepts that I really enjoyed one after another. I kind of enjoyed these similar sounding songs but still kind of had these really expressive short story kind of bits of like, here's the learning to bone story of amateur hour and then something completely different with barbecuity i think it just shows a lot of narrative strength a lot of potential to show that like they have a lot of range to talk about so many different kinds of characters and lots of losers especially in love but i just really like how kind of hard to predict their subject matter is typically so i would give it a yeah, honestly, I'll I'll give it a Tesla Coil. I think it is my favorite of the three because that type of shredding just really works for me. I really like the opening for Amateur Hour and stuff like that. It's just a really nice energy-giving record. It has just a invigorating flow, I'd say. So that's where I guess I'd say I'd come in from with this ranking.
1: Mm. I think that's fair. If it's a record that can give you energy, I think there's a lot of merit to that just in terms of preferential things and music that puts you in a mood to move forward with things
0: yeah i i really dig that sort of Mm, compelling propulsive propulsive nature of the record well following that let's move on to our fan mail section you've got mail you've got mail where we read listener feedback now we've kind of had some issues with the mailboxes i kept getting letters for jamie jamie's been getting letters for me We're trying to figure it out, Uh, the postal service is very confusing, I'm still learning computers.
1: Oh, that's right, you have such a big computer, which is tough because you have such tiny arms.
0: Exactly, I don't know why I did this, I made it myself, why did I make it so tall? My arms, they're two
1: inches, wide (laughs) and long. It's awful that you have to use a stepladder to get up to the chair to use your computer.
0: I dream of (laughs) high-fiving. (laughs) <laughs> did you receive any interesting mail? Anything for you for once? Or did you get another letter
1: sent to me? I'm sorry. I got another one for you. <gasps> alright, alright. Who is it now? I don't know why this keeps happening.
0: So what did I get? Yeah, what did so I get? So
1: this this is from Gordon in Indianapolis. Hmm, okay. A Gordon. To the hosts of Male Living Space, but especially Gib. That's me. Your work trying to catalog Sparks's music has inspired me to do a project of my own isn't that nice sorry it's taking so long to read it he wrote really big and so there's a bunch of different pages i have to keep flipping
0: <laughs> no problem at all uh did they talk about what project they're they're working on
1: yes yes I, yes actually it's something i'm doing with my three friends and it's going to be a comprehensive look at the catalog of the Rubets. We're calling it Rubet Your Life. And it's going to wipe your puny little show off the fucking map. And I hope you're prepared for a storm. Because lightning from the big IN is coming your way. Alright, Gord... And your parents' way. And your beloved pet's way as well. Please don't consider this a threat. Ha ha. Mm. Gordon. Hmm. Gordon,
0: listen here. I am lord of the land. And you disrespect me like this. Like, I am just some some neighbor of yours across the street. You think you can mock me with your future podcast on the Rubets? It's not even a not even a better pun than ours tell him uh i want to fight gordon is he here he's
1: in indianapolis
0: he's in indianapolis we're not in indianapolis are we
1: not at the moment no but we could take a trip
0: okay well keep this in note we might do an episode where we just go to beat up gordon but um listeners stay tuned for that listeners stay tuned for us beating up gordon uh gordon i will interpret that as a threat and in return I will...
1: I don't think we can interpret it as a threat, because he said ha-ha.
0: Yeah, threats aren't funny at all.
1: No, he wrote ha-ha.
0: He did write ha-ha.
1: It's probably non-threatening, even though he said that he would bring the lightning to your parents. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Gordon, mag
0: Gordon God of Thunder, um... oh god gordon i'm also sorry you share uh, a name with the bassist we were just discussing who was also kind of you know a lot you sound like a lot gordon do the people around you know you're a lot get help gordon gordon do people know you're submitting hate mail to podcasts do people know the real gordon (laughs) gordon i don't even i don't even think you know the real gordon go away gordon anyway Thank you, Gordon. I appreciate the fandom. Um, Thanks for your letter. We will send you a coupon to Beard Airlines. Anyway, it seems like with you, the Postal Service messed up with me as well, and I got a letter for you. This comes from Terry Tortellini from Kentucky. <sighs> Forgive me. It says in here, read in a silly voice, so I apologize. Uh, Jamie, <coughs> why do you not like a slowboat? <laughs> Slow, uh, what do you hate the slower the boat <clears throat> no its it says it it says after here give up on the accent because uh, at that point I'm gonna get cracking
1: okay, okay. thank so, goodness
0: uh yeah after this it just has in play in uh, regular speech okay
1: yeah
0: it says here that uh, Mr Tortellini has started a Facebook page a whole message board of slow boat heads. And if you look at their first few posts, they seem pretty harmless. They're just, you know, talking about slowboat and lyrics they like. and But then the letter starts to get a bit hostile. This seems like an actual threat. Oh, it doesn't say haha at the end. No, it doesn't say haha at the end. In fact, at the very end, Mr. Tortellini says stay away from water okay i don't know if that means uh bodies of water or also drinking water or any liquid yeah
1: i'm not entirely sure does it also mean that i can't enjoy a nice glass of sparkling as well it,
0: well it has a picture here there's a crayon drawing here it's very crude it seems to show i mean i i think it's you i don't know how I guess they looked at the thumbnail of the podcast and sort of tried to get a good vibe of your face in the drawing but it seems to be you being eaten by a boat <laughs>
1: <laughs> eaten by the entire boat or am I being impaled on like the anchor or okay
0: so you know boats right I'm aware by uh, eating you I'm being I'm being mm-hmm. literal it has a mouth the front
1: oh the boat has the a boat mouth. has giant
0: okay. shark-like teeth and a big mouth and it's mm-hmm. chomping on jaws, like jaws yes. yes if jaws were a boat instead of a shark it, it also just shows in the picture a lot of people celebrating uh one guy's wearing a shirt that says tortellini i think that's supposed to be terry
1: it's either terry or it's terry's biggest fan <laughs> uh
0: it doesn't even tell me if terry drew it uh so i can't even tell <laughs> if uh <laughs> Was it Terry? Was it Terry's kid? I don't. Even, I mean, Terry doesn't even mention how old he is in the letter. It just says from Kentucky, so that's a threat, right? The the picture of you being eaten by a boat—that's a threat.
1: Yeah, because there's no ha ha. There's no ha ha. So I'm gonna interpret it as a threat.
0: What are you gonna do? Are you gonna stay away from all water, or are you gonna are you gonna fight? The slow boat fandom seems to have it out for you.
1: Listen, Terry, I appreciate what you're saying to me. And I'm not going to tell you the same thing that I told the lady in Boise last month, because that would be repeating myself, and I'm not inclined to do that.
0: Jamie Ogihara does not repeat themselves. Jamie Ogihara does not repeat themselves.
1: I don't repeat myself. I don't repeat myself. I can't believe you would even say that I would repeat myself. Now, I applaud you for your grassroots efforts to try and get more people on your side. And I feel as if your drawing could use a little more logistical forethought. I respectfully agonize over the misstep that is slowboat. I'm haunted by it. Late at night, when the moon is, if you'll forgive the pun over Kentucky, Mr. Tortellini, I cannot help but furiously twist and turn at the very thought of having to hear that song again. There is no universe where Slowboat exists that is not full of entropy and hatred. I will not tolerate the song, nor will I tolerate any fandom of the song. I'm bringing the thunder to you in Kentucky.
0: Ooh, <laughs> you heard it first here, folks.
1: We're going to go on a full cross-country road trip. We're going to beat up Gordon, and then we're going to twist Terry Tortellini into a knot and toss him into the harbor. Mm-hmm.
0: Hell yeah. And for some reason, I'm in the drawing, too, but I'm just kind of watching. They don't seem to have a problem with me.
1: Well, it's not as if you're following this Facebook group that Terry Tortellini has created. No,
0: no, 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 um, I mean, don't, don't look that up. I totally don't have a fake Facebook account called Kib Christensen <laughs> that is the most active poster on that forum and maybe inspired the drawing and maybe Uh, organized a basketball tournament with them okay yeah i'm hanging out with them all right well i'm hanging out with the slowbo freaks
1: well while gib is hanging out with all of his cool new friends i'd like to remind our listeners that they can be featured in our famous you've got mail segment and all they have to do is leave a comment on the podcast app of their choice as long as they accompany it with a rating it doesn't matter how many stars But we would like to receive ratings on the podcast app of your choice. And also, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, that'd be a big help as well. Lovely.
0: Next month, we will be discussing their fourth album, Propaganda, released in November 11th, 1974. Lastly, for your listening pleasure and ours, six legally allowable seconds of the music of Sparks. See you next month for the next one.